You're listening to 30 Minute Expert. I'm Katie. And I'm Zach. Every episode, I challenge Zach to become an expert on a totally random topic. And if that's not hard enough, I only have 30 minutes to do it. We want to prove that no matter who you are, or how much education you have, with a little help from the internet, anyone can become an expert on any topic in the world. Do you like magic? Yeah. Do you like magic shows? I don't know if I've ever been to a magic show, but really? I, I like when they're on TV. You know, oh, like they, I would they think that to... would be the least exciting version on TV. Well, if that's the only one you've ever seen, it's the most exciting version. True. Fair enough. They used to put them on TV when we were little. Like, it'd be a special event. They would promote it, and it would be prime time, like Friday night. And I remember really liking those and watching those. And then any. I don't know, David Blaine or yeah. whatever they have on Netflix. I, I think I've seen all of those. Isn't David Blaine the guy who would do crazy stuff that everyone would pay attention to? Like, David Blaine is going to stay underwater for three days. Is I don't him? know. I always confuse him and Chris Angel. Me too. I don't know which is which. Wow. But I, I know I've seen both of their stuff and enjoy it, but I don't know who's who. Bad on us. Yeah, I know. Well, all right. So I'm going to have you look into another famous magician. Ooh. Someone near and dear to my heart really well kind of mr harry houdini (laughs) why is he so near and dear to your heart he's only near and dear to my heart because um ragtime the show i was in oh yeah uh he's a character in it so ragtime is a show that takes place at the turn of the century in america and a lot of real life prominent figures at that time are in the show and harry houdini is one of the people in the show he's not a huge part but he is in it cool um and so that old you know back back in the day when i'm 10 years old that really sparked my interest in him Mm -hmm. um and i've learned a bit about him over the years also one thing i'll tell you about him right off the bat he's hungarian just like you oh wow get out of town yeah so you should have a he sounds italian Houdini, I would have guessed. Uh, perhaps that's not his real last name. I don't really know. Hmm. I I'm I think he his last public performance was in Pittsburgh, which is really where I'm from. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, there's so many times. I think so. Yeah, this is becoming a conspiracy. Maybe we're all related. <laughs> well, that'd be great. And he believed in um. So I know. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, the afterlife I, yeah. sort of thing, communicating with the afterlife. Exactly. He gave his wife a secret code to pass on to him I like know. once she died he was like you know our code is dalmatian Aww. if you know something like that he's like when you die or maybe it was when i die when he dies you know he's yeah. like we're gonna hold a seance and that will be the key word and if that comes through i know yeah that you're communicating i know when he really loved his mother and oh. when his mother died i think that at least from my understanding right now that's what sparked his interest in the afterlife and he got really really into it um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff about him. Obviously, yeah, this is a great topic. Yeah, right? Yeah. He lived a really cool life, did a lot of cool stuff, um, and then had these other elements that are interesting as well. I'm excited. Great. I'm excited too. I can't wait to find out more. Yeah, this will be a good one. Okay. Now, poof, 30 minutes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, abracadabra. Alec is him. <laughs> All right. You got it? 30 minutes, Harry Houdini? All right, I'll see you soon. Good luck. Bye. Bye. We're back. What a journey. Yeah? Yeah. All right. 
Okay. I'm excited to hear about it, really. Well, let's start at the start. Good idea. Harry Brian Houdini. No way. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you do that to me all the time. <laughs> okay, fine. What's his real name? <laughs> his real name actually is not Harry Houdini at all. Mm. His real name is Eric Weiss. And he was born in Budapest, Hungary, on March 24th, 1874. Wow. And I feel like that's so typical of back in the day to just completely change your name to just something entirely not I agree with was. you. However, his name is really a stage name. So mm. um, it wasn't like... I know what you mean. I feel like that that does come up a lot where people just change their name when they yeah. immigrated and made it well, something totally different. I, I actually was meaning like in Hollywood and things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is true too. Yeah. That It happens today, but it was much more the norm back yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. All Especially right. when your name was anything other than like Miller, you know, right. like something yeah. super yeah. easy to pronounce and mm-hmm. American looking. Um, he was one of seven children. Mm-hmm. Came to the United States when he was four years old, mm. and upon arriving, changed the family changed the spelling of their last name. So his name is Eric Weiss, spelled W-E-I-S-Z. Mm. And like Rachel Weiss. Yeah. Just I know. that It's factors. weird. They said they changed it to be more, to look more American, or to the like English spelling, but I don't know. That name is not unfamiliar to me, the one ending with Z, but they changed it to end with S-S. Probably. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, we probably just see it now because more people yeah came people here just and have that name it. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um this is so weird though so they changed the last name they drop the Z add another S to make it look more American they also change the spelling of his first name so he was born Eric E R I K mm-hmm. very normal very easy to pronounce you see that all the time in America mm-hmm. um but they changed it to E H R I C H. Oh no. Which is like Eric. <laughs> that's not at all like yeah. that's I don't know. That looks to be so fair, much more though, foreign. Eric E R I K again is is common now. It, we can't possibly know what it was like then. Maybe this You're right. spelling of Eric with two H's was the norm Even then. Even Eric with a K, it seems to me is kind of more recent. Yeah, Eric definitely. with a C is the to way that we saw like it growing up, way. yeah, yeah. But I don't know that. To me, that did not simplify it <laughs> at all because you no. do see that a lot when people change their names, and it's like they're dropping a Y here, they're dropping a Z there, like, the, and they're making it a lot more shorter, yeah, a lot shorter and more easy to pronounce to you know an English right reader. Of but course, this just seems to complicate it. Yeah, well, who knows? Moving on, mm-hmm. uh, they lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, where his father was a rabbi. Because they were Jewish. Mm -hmm. And then after a couple of years, they moved to Milwaukee. And I don't know. These are random spots. I guess there aren't a lot of uh, synagogues in Milwaukee because the family went broke when they were there. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, shortly thereafter, Eric, you know, Mm -hmm. Harry, and his dad moved to New York City. Mm. And they lived in like a tenement house um, until they could find permanent housing, at which point the rest of the family joined them in New York. But during that time, 
that's when Harry kind of got involved in performing, got involved in like kind of this circusy world. He actually started working as a trapeze artist. Oh, I don't cool. know how you just start working as a trapeze artist. Seems like there should be more of a story there. You but just climb on up there and jump. Yeah, he was a trapeze artist at 13, and I think he called himself the Prince of the Air or something Aww, like that. Oh, how cute. So he would perform doing that. What a fun backstory for Harry Houdini. I know, I didn't expect that. I like it. Then, when he was about 17, so a few years later, they're you know a little more settled in New York, mm-hmm. he starts to work as a professional magician. Mm-hmm. And this is when he changes his name. Mm-hmm. So until that point, he's Eric Weiss. And when he goes into magic, he decides to change his name to Houdini after the famous French magician Jean-Eugene Jean Robert, or I guess Robert, uh, Houdin. Oh. Spelled like Houdini without that extra I at the end because Harry Houdini mistakenly looking at the autograph of this other guy thought that it ended in an I. Oh, wow. So he just copied his last name but didn't realize until after that he actually put an extra wow. vowel at the end of it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's where his that's where Houdini came from and then Harry probably just for the alliteration factor. Yeah, it is, it is nice. It's a catchy name. Uh, I guess later on he claimed that that came from another, I believe, American magician, Harry something or other. Mm. But it's speculated that it was probably just a simplification of his first name of like er- Eric, like er- like that, that E-H-R that started his first name, uh-huh. E-H-R-I even, was probably like, you know. Because, again, they realize that, like, that's not American at all. Yeah. That's not a normal name so in the U.S. Like, so, like, Harry. Harry was probably closer to yeah. how they were saying his name, you know. Mm, um, so, I guess now people think that's probably more where it came from, is people kind of saying his name like Harry anyway. Oh, wow. Um, weird, I don't know. but, yeah, it but is weird. that could be. That makes sense. Yeah, cool. I think either one is Funny plausible. that he just stole the last name of another famous magician. It seems counter to, unless he was trying to play it off as a relative of his. Also, mm. I, I guess you really can't judge anything by today's standards. That Today, that would be super weird because yeah. you would be searching people on the internet and you'd be like, why do they have the same last name? And he'd get called out and it would be a whole thing. But then no one knew anything. There was no way to find anything out. Probably yeah. no one had heard of this magician. And so he's just exactly. like, Exactly, that's what Let's I was thinking it. too. Like, it's shocking to me that he would even know who a french magician was yeah you know living in america but he probably only did because he was so tuned into that world truly anyone else wouldn't so all right good for him harry houdini (laughs) (laughs) at first like i said or i think i said this anyway he's doing all uh card stuff sleight Mm, of hand he didn't He's doing sleight of hand card tricks, but apparently he's not great at it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really stick. He's not impressing anyone. But (laughs) um, in that time, when he realizes that that's not his bag, he starts to work on escape tricks. Mm. And it turns out that he's a lot better at escape tricks. Cool. So in 1899, he meets a man named Martin Beck in Minnesota. I guess he was touring around enough that he made it from New York City to Minnesota yeah, doing shows. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and doing the escape tricks. And this guy was so impressed by him that he agreed to represent him as his manager. 
And within just a couple of months, he had him booked at the biggest vaudeville houses, like in every major city in the area. So he's doing really well at this point wow. and making a name for himself yeah. in that, you know, in that entertainment world. The following year, 1900, he goes to England and performs. It's funny. You said, he, so he's in ragtime mm -hmm. and that takes place when exactly? It starts in 1902. So Where? it's all uh, New Rochelle, New York. <laughs> this is so weird though, because he goes to England in 1900 and doesn't return until 1904. Okay, yeah. No, doesn't that return makes to sense. the U.S. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. He doesn't show like, up until a couple years into the ragtime it, it takes a It takes a couple years. So, okay, got I mean, it. And also, also he, he may have returned to, to the U.S. in that four-year span, but he effectively was living in mm -hmm. England for four years. Cool. Well, all over Europe, actually. So he goes to England and is a huge hit there. Immediately starts performing at... A theater, the same theater uh, for six months straight called wow. the Alhambra Theater. And at that time, he was earning $300 a week, which in today's money is like 9300 Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a great living. That's Good like being, you know, the star of a, well, maybe not the star, but being like on a TV show. Yeah. That's, that's like that, cut, that type of money for that he's sure. making. So over those next couple of years, he's touring all over Europe, all over Russia, and he's doing kind of the same stuff in every city he yeah he's master he so he's like i forget what he calls himself the you know the master of handcuffs or the king of cuffs or something like mm -hmm. that um <laughs> cool because he's escaping from handcuffs which mm. i don't know i guess to us that's that seems like something that people do yeah but at that point handcuffs were you couldn't escape from yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. To see somebody escape from them was magic. Right. And no one had done it before. No one was escaping from handcuffs yet. So exactly. it was a big deal. So he would go city to city and challenge the police to lock him up. Oh. Using whatever method That's they can. Awesome. And he would just escape. And in some cases, they would even like strip him naked and search him beforehand. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. And, he, and nobody could keep him locked up. So this is a real show. He would go all over and do this uh, until 1904. He comes back to the U.S., buys himself a nice little place in Harlem, and just starts performing again because the whole time he's in Europe, he's, you know, the word's coming back over to the U.S. He's, his fame is rising. He's becoming a really big star, mm -hmm. actually. So he's back in the U.S. in 1904, and that same year, he performs a stunt, which is I mean, he has a lot of very famous stunts, but this is one of the most remembered. Uh, mm -hmm. He escaped a lock that took a Birmingham, Alabama locksmith five years to design. Wow. And not just a oh, lock. Man. I mean, like a whole series of like, yeah. it looks like he's wearing nine handcuffs and like nine ankle handcuffs. That and poor blacksmith guy. I know. Like, oh, all that time. <laughs> yeah. And Houdini said that was his toughest escape oh it took him that yeah it took him over an hour which wow. is super long i mean other ones he's you know he does in the matter of minutes so while he's doing this what he's doing when he's escaping and this is for a lot of the um stunts i guess i'll call them he does them behind a curtain mm -hmm. so nobody can really see how he's doing it yeah which i'm like come on people <laughs> <laughs> yeah but whatever so he's uh, he's going behind the curtain and trying to open up this lock, and he's coming With back what, out. With what, though? Well, you're supposed to believe that he's doing it with 
kind of nothing yeah. with just escaping. But what escaping. is he doing it with? Just like a pen or something? He wrote a book about it later on, about how he did a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. and it varied. I mm-hmm. guess he said that you could open up any lock just by using the right pressure in the right spot, which mm. doesn't seem, I don't know, that seems weird to me. Yeah. But he also, you know, just straight up admits to having hidden keys. You know, you can open them using a shoelace. You can open them using a little tiny mm. pin, you know, stuff like that. So Even that he was to me, cheating, but right. not cheating. Like, he knew he was doing that. Right. He's doing it behind the curtain for a freaking reason, you know. But that that doesn't even ruin it to me because I can't do that. Like, that's still wildly impressive that it that even if 100%. even if the truth is and he had a, the people... a hidden key, a hidden little pin i'm still like, like great i'm still amazed yeah and yeah you're absolutely right and i don't know i wasn't there maybe the people thought or maybe maybe the people didn't think he was like just doing it magically yeah. you know i don't mm-hmm. think that's i guess the more i'm thinking it through i don't think they thought he was magically magical, you yeah know? <laughs> yeah well, maybe an element of that, but I guess what would you think now if you were watching someone do that on stage? It's fake. That's what I would think. I would think it's fake. Somehow. But would you think it's fake, or would you think would you think it's fake? Like, oh, those chains are not locked in the first place, or it's fake? Like, they've There's got just a some key kind in of their trick sleeve to it. and they're yeah. gonna open it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the whole thing is, do you have a key or don't you? Yeah. If you have a key, anyone can open it up. But if mm-hmm. you don't have a key. If you have a little pin, if you have a little whatever, you know, that's like, okay, but, well, that's impressive. Yeah. You're doing it without a key. Yeah. I don't know. I should have focused more on uh, what his deal was. You should have found out <laughs> how he escaped, so then we could start our own uh, Harry Houdini-esque touring show. Not interested. <laughs> okay. Maybe we could start our own TikTok channel. People would pay more T- attention not to Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so when he's doing that uh, five-year handcuff thing that that, you know, was mm-hmm. his toughest escape ever. Yeah. In the middle of it, he's coming out. He's like, oh, shoot, can I take my jacket off? I'm struggling back there. And they're like, no, you can't take your jacket off because if, if, we, if we take the lock off so you can take your jacket off, mm-hmm. you'll gain an advantage by seeing how we unlocked it. Mm, true. And he's like, good point, good point. So he reaches into his... Or, like, uses his mouth to, like, kind of reach into his jacket pocket and pulls out a pen knife mm-hmm. and proceeds to cut his jacket off while he's still locked up. Wow. And at one point, so he goes back here on the curtain, he's struggling. Then, apparently, this is reported but not verified. I don't know, because we're talking about, you know, 115 years ago. Mm-hmm. At one point, his wife comes on stage and gives him a kiss. Oh. And then he goes back and struggles and blah, 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 and eventually opens it. And people... Uh, speculated that she maybe slipped him a something. little more than just yeah, the tongue yeah. when she kissed him. Oh, gross. But then other people said, no, she never came on stage. That's not true at all. Hmm. Either way, he got out and he was like exhausted and said that, that was his toughest escape ever. Wow. Moving on. Mm-hmm. He uh, he developed a locked uh, a milk can, a big oversized milk can that was filled with water. Mm-hmm. Just a milk can, because that's what it looked like. It's not an actual milk can, but it was the same shape as a milk jug um, that was locked, filled with water, and he would go in there, and he would be handcuffed, and then he would escape, and it was spectacular. Under the water? So he couldn't breathe? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was filled to the top with water. That is impressive. That kind of got, I don't know, stale after some time, so he then 
would have that nailed into a wooden crate and even have chains put over it and he would still find his way out. Wow. He would go over all over the place and he would let people bring homemade contraptions for him to escape from. So people would bring their own crates. I, get, mm -hmm. I read one thing that said people would like, they I don't know, they did something where he was like, completely wrapped in like wet bed sheets and he escaped <laughs> from that which sounds horrible yeah that's so gross and i didn't look into this but on wikipedia it said he even escaped from the i mean how do you get in there in the first place but it said he escaped from the belly of a whale that washed up on the shore and i think boston that i mean maybe Is there a beach in boston maybe <laughs> is this true <laughs> i'm confused that's crazy and gross and but good for him if he did it. Yeah. He even escaped from a D.C. jail cell that held the assassin of President James Garfield. No. Yeah. Wow. Just to prove that he could. That's pretty cool. He's, yeah, he's he was pretty a real cool. B.A. Yeah, he, he really is. I like these moves. I like the moves where he tells the cops to lock him up and then he escapes and where he escapes from the jail cell. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there ain't a lot he couldn't get out of. He uh, one, This is probably his most famous escape is the Chinese water torture cell in this I feel like you've seen other people knock it off or yeah I don't know when I read about it I was like oh yeah I've totally seen that but I've never seen him do it of course hmm. um where suspended above the ground is a big glass box mm -hmm. and then inside that box he's suspended upside down with his feet oh, shackled yeah. and his hands shackled and that box is filled with water and he escapes from yeah. that, you know, unlocks the shackles yeah. on his hands and then his feet and then, you know, flips around and swims up to the top of the box. I can picture, yeah. I you know, can all the wildest things nowadays doing suspended 30 thing. feet off the ground. Yeah. Which really which doesn't matter. I guess doesn't matter. add any, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess just the possibility that the rope will exciting. snap. <laughs> yeah. He loved to hang upside down, apparently, because that was like his... That's He did this all over the place. Yeah. He would go and he would be put in a straight jacket and hung upside down from a crane, and he would escape the straitjacket. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff he does in ragtime, I think. That was like, I know I've said this is one of his most famous things. That's his most famous thing. But I think that's what he did the most, kind of, was mm -hmm. that hanging from a straitjacket, hanging was, upside down in a straitjacket and that escaping. That was his brand. Yeah, and it was weird. <laughs> I read that he did a lot of these things uh, during the lunch hour. He would be in major cities like just in the middle of like an intersection downtown wow. and he would do it at lunch hour so That's everybody when people could were see free. yeah i know but i'm like how do you sell tickets i mean these streets would be packed with literally tens of thousands of people every window is filled every rooftop maybe, i mean this guy's like a huge celebrity maybe i don't he understand was doing how some they stuff just to raise his profile sometimes that's what it seems like yeah, yeah. so that when he would would do a theater show you know yeah he, he had all the press yeah. out of the way. Everybody he's, wanted he's to come see He's a marketer, too. He understands. That's true. So he did that Chinese water torture cell for the rest of his career. That be, kind mm. of became his trademark yeah. move, if you will. Um, later in his career, or in his life, I should say, he went, to, he went back to France to visit the widow of that magician who he took his name from, mm -hmm. Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. And he thought that she treated him rudely. I don't really know why. I don't know what was the basis of their relationship. Mm. I don't know why he was going there. I don't know what she did to be rude to him. Mm -hmm. But anyway, 
he got real mad oh. and he uh he sent a letter to a French magazine saying that he was going to publish a piece in his own magazine which he did have for a very short period of time uh-huh. uh publish a piece in his own magazine taking that guy Houdin off of the pedestal that he never deserved yada 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 Whoa. and years later he actually wrote a book doing just that really wrote, yeah he wrote a book where he like completely tore this guy down and he um, you know, said that he didn't develop these tricks, and then he stole that from so-and-so. And Whoa, I wonder what this chick did. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know the source of all this vitriol, but yeah. huh. things definitely went south. His yeah, admiration <laughs> didn't last uh, his whole life, I guess. He also got really into filmmaking, and this was while he was doing, you know, his stunts and everything. Like, the early part of the 20th century, mm. He uh, that's when... Filmmaking was just kind of starting. Yeah, that's in ragtime too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It so, encompasses a lot. <laughs> it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appeared in a couple, several, uh, a couple silent films, and he was already a huge star. So mm-hmm. that was kind of an easy transition into being in movies. Uh, and then he went on to make his own movies, like start his own production company and everything. Cool. Uh, the most famous film he did, and reportedly the best of his films was called Grim Game, and this is pretty cool. For decades, there was only one known copy in existence because old film reels, like the physical film reel, they're super uh, delicate. They don't hold up to time well. They need to be really, like, meticulously cared for and kept in, you know, out of heat, out of sunlight, Mm -hmm. in the right humidity level, all this stuff because they... A are extremely flammable, like yeah, in like scary flammable. Yeah, uh, sadly, like many, many, many films are just completely gone because they only existed on these. I think it's nitrite, is what the film reels are made uh, out of, something yeah. like that. And uh, you know, there's literally one in existence, and they go up in flames, and yeah. they're just done. Uh, and that could happen a lot of different ways, and very easily, especially when you're talking about a hundred years ago, right? So there was only one known copy in existence, and it was held by a private collector until just a couple of years ago when uh, they sold that reel to Turner Classic Movies. Oh, wow. And they went in and, like, restored the entire oh, thing. Good for I'm them. sure they digitized it just because Hopefully. why wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, and it, it wasn't seen for over 96 years until it was shown at the uh, TCM Film Festival in Hollywood in 2015. That's really they cool. They showed it to an audience. Yeah, I didn't oh, look. Awesome. I wonder if it's online. I Yeah, I was going to say I'm sure it is, but maybe not in its entirety, but you can probably get your hands on it some way nowadays. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I know. I thought that was neat. Yeah. He died pretty young. I believe he was 52 years old when mm, he died. Yeah. And it's kind of weird the way he died. So he was performing in Montreal mm-hmm. and... He was also famous for uh, letting people punch him in the stomach. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and just being like, like there was a, I don't know how much he actually did this or if it was just more of a myth mm-hmm. that he, you couldn't hurt him punching him in the stomach, uh-huh. which probably makes Abs sense. I mean, steel. like he was, I'm sure, no doubt an excellent physical yeah. shape. I mean, I've seen photos of him. He looks very well built and healthy mm-hmm. and, you know, so he probably was very strong in his abdomen. Yeah. So still a, a weird still, trick, but cool. Still a weird trick. Okay. Um, so these college kids come up to him. They went to McGill College, 
Jeez Louise, guys, get it together. Oh, no. And they are, like, in his dressing room or something, and they're like, is it true that you can't get hurt if someone punches you in the stomach? And then just immediately start, like, pounding on his stomach. Oh. And apparently at the time, he was, like, nursing a broken ankle or something, so he's kind of, like, laid, like leaning back on a couch, and they just start wailing on his stomach before he stops. That's he's not like, the trick, yeah. What the, the trick heck isn't, like, anyone beat the crap out <laughs> exactly. of me. Exactly. <laughs> And that's what he said. He's like, no, like, if I do that, I need to be, like, standing and praising yeah, myself. Ready. And you get one punch, and then I walk away and say, aha. Right. But apparently it didn't phase him too bad. Like, he, he didn't double over and die right mm-hmm. there. But, you know, still, he's like, what the heck? Um, and then later, I think it was that night or the next day or over the next couple of days, he, like, developed a fever and really bad stomach pain. Oh, no. And ended up dying a week later on Halloween in 1926 Mm. and it was found out after you know he was in the hospital for a few days before he died Mm -hmm. that uh he had appendicitis (gasps) and they think that perhaps that punching ruptured his appendix oh wow yeah that's crazy yeah yeah it's pretty nuts oh that's so horrible I know it's not for sure it was kind of Mm -hmm. You know, some places said that's how he died. Other places are like, eh, not so fast. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like not exactly sure. But but that series of events is true and did happen in the yeah. week leading up to him dying. Regardless, don't beat up famous magicians just because you think it's fun and you're in college. Yeah, if they're not famous, though, go for it. <laughs> we talked about this in the intro. Towards the end of his life, mm-hmm. he yeah. started to get really into mediums and psychics paranormal stuff but not the way we thought oh really no he got really into debunking mediums and psychics really spiritualists yeah but do you think he was debunking them because he really wanted to find a real one so he was trying to (laughs) you know what i mean i don't i don't think so i know what you mean and i don't think so because he seemed to really maybe he just saw these these people hucksters rising up around him and he wanted to put them in their place i think that that honestly is part of it is Hmm. he's like i'm doing something real i'm actually risking my life you're just lying to people and stealing their money especially targeting you know people who are grieving yeah so he would go around he would attend seances uh undercover Uh and he would be with it'd be himself a reporter he he would bring along and a policeman that he would bring along (laughs) and he actually did like bust several fakes in the act you know like he would just straight up because he was so trained in you know sleight of hand and this world of illusion and escape yeah exactly so he was just picking up on stuff and like oh i see exactly how you're doing that and he would expose people wow which is kind of cool yeah i mean yeah it's not a bad thing it's like that episode of stuff you should know we just listened to about spiritualism this is exactly what it sounds like yeah yeah oh i forgot about that yeah all these people who were and and you know all kinds of people do all kinds of stuff in this world but i guess the thing about that that can be really upsetting to people is that you're profiting off of oftentimes other people's grief if yeah. they've lost a loved one and they come to you thinking that you can connect them with that person in some way and you're just really uh, faking it completely and have no intention of trying to connect with their loved one and you're just taking their money um so i yeah that's honorable to try and um Put a stop to that kind of thing. <laughs> Setting up your own sting operations. Yeah, really. He even went as far as putting out a reward 
to any medium who could display supernatural abilities. See, now that seems like what I'm thinking of, though. Like, maybe there was a part of him that was, like, really wanted to find the real thing, and he wasn't here for people faking it, but that he that he really would be interested in someone who actually had some connection to the other side. Yeah, I I, I understand what you're saying. I know and you I, just did all the research, and I didn't, and I'm no, forcing trust me, this I am, uh, despite the title of the show, not an expert. <laughs> but, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that it could be both. Yeah, I think it totally could be both. Yeah. They make sense together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's like anything that you totally don't believe in, if you were faced with absolute proof of it, okay, then I think you would have to accept it, and, and I don't know how much trouble you would have accepting it if, and those, if it's right in your face. Him doing those sting operations and trying to expose people, that doesn't mean he doesn't believe in it. That means he believes that these people aren't the real thing. That's a good point, too. Yeah. So he puts out this reward. I believe it was $10,000, which Ooh, is... Which in today's money uh, is I $10 mean, billion. Dollars. <laughs> tons and tons of money. And in Pittsburgh, he actually had... Oh, yeah. I oh, said awesome. I thought his yeah. last performances in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. That's not true. It was in Detroit. Uh, I believe the... No, I was going to say, I believe it was the night he died, but I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure he was in the hospital mm, when he for died. A few days. But anyway, uh, his last performance was in, in Detroit where he did end up dying. Mm-hmm. But I think what I was thinking of was he was hospitalized once in Pittsburgh. Oh. Is that Pittsburgh's was... claim to fame? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, found, I came across that in the research, and that must have been what I was thinking of. Mm. I knew there was some tie. Uh, or it was this, because he had a woman in Pittsburgh who, uh, you know, he came through this city a couple of times and mm-hmm. on one of the stops had that challenge out there and she accepted. She was the, I forget her name, Alice something. She was the reverend of a uh, church of Divi- divine healing. That's what it was. She was the reverend? She was the reverend of something something church of divine okay. healing. Um, not a real church. Yeah. Those jobs are I don't, for men. Not like a Christian church mm-hmm. or, yeah. Not like a reverend, like yeah, at a church yeah. like that. Um, anyway, when she failed to perform an act that he couldn't replicate, I guess that was the gauntlet. Like, you do mm-hmm. something, uh. you know, that I can't, like, you, I don't know. Right. Cause again, he's still trained in that. He can see, he yeah. can watch someone do something that's, quote, supernatural, Psychic but he can see how yeah. they're actually doing it so he could recreate it. And right. when she couldn't do that, her supporters turned on her oh. and, like, started a riot. Oh, wow. Yeah, like a, a real riot, like, big enough that the New York Times wrote about it. Wow. And you can read it online It's because uh, it's all cataloged online. I think you have to pay for it, but um, from September 18th, 1925, in the New York Times, they write about Whoa. the riot incited when he threw oh, down this challenge upset. and she couldn't See, meet it. See, but that's what, that was his whole point. He doesn't want people to be following people yeah. who aren't real. I know. I agree. It's admirable. Yeah, I get it. That said, before he died, he (laughs) and his wife, Bess, who Mm -hmm. actually was his stage assistant for his whole career Mm. and seemed like a really cool lady and they seemed to get along just fine. That's really nice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They both agreed on a secret code that they would use to communicate to the living one if possible. Oh, wow. You were right about that. Yeah. The code they decided on was Rosa... Yes. Sorry. I'm going to restart that sentence. Mm -hmm. The code they decided on was Rosabelle Believe. Yeah, it's that's a, weird a ridiculous code, code. But I think it should be weird. It should be. 
if and it's something normal, like I want a pumpkin spice latte, then you, it'll never work. Yeah, that's <laughs> every other person is trying to every communicate using that. Every white chick is trying to catch Houdini. So she held a seance on Halloween, the day he died, mm-hmm. every year for 10 years following his death. Aww. And no never communication. No. And, and then right before she died, was she like just yelled out to everyone what the thing was? No, I, I guess I don't know how that came out. There was, in that 10 year span, there was one instance where she claimed like a a third party, mm-hmm. the medium, I guess, holding the seance, claimed to have made contact with him and said the secret code. But then later in her life, she was like, no, we kind of faked that. Like we made that up. That that didn't uh, actually happen. Mm. So after 10 years of seances, she said, and I quote, a decade is too long to wait for any man. And Aww. she stopped holding them after 10 years. I think the last one was on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was like, Dunzo. Cool. Goodbye, Harry. All right. Uh, and she, I think she lived another... 25 years or something mm. like that. She lived till she was like 60 some. Cool. Yeah. Uh, he, and he wrote several books. I think I said mm-hmm. that he wrote the book about, you know, the secrets of how he did it. That book is yeah. called Handcuff Secrets. There were a couple more that were... Handcuff Secrets. Yeah, pretty on the nose. I like it. The other one is literally like rope tricks and how to do that <laughs> or something. Like I'm not kidding. Uh. Uh, and then he wrote a book about his time debunking the spiritualist called oh. a magician among the spirits wow that's yeah. really cool yeah he's a cool dude there's a lot to him that's for sure yeah definitely yeah there's i mean there's a few other things here little facts oh um, give us a couple fun facts that are, before we go yeah even spread out his uh field of interests he was the president of the Society of American Magicians. I guess no okay. surprise there, being as well-known as he was. Yeah. He also was the, I think, president of, oh, I forget the name of the company, but they were like the largest like card manufacturer, like magic oh, cards. Okay. And I, the company still exists today. That's he was the president of that still company. Still in line with his for brand. For a little bit. He was a member of the Freemasons. Oh. He was an avid aviator. Oh, and wow. I guess there's some speculation... Um, or not speculation, but kind of debate. For a good while, people thought that he was the first person to fly an airplane on Australian soil. Oh. And I, again, kind of same with the um, how he died thing. It's like, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm kind of scanning this stuff, so it was a little mm-hmm. unclear, but that's out there, but it's also like disproven, mm-hmm. you know. So but it's kind of cool that it was even wasn't. out there for a yeah. minute. But yeah. I did read that he uh, crashed an airplane, which oh. is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. And then, okay, last fun fact. Mm. Once when he was in Germany, when Mm -hmm. he was performing in that, you know, four-year stint that he had in Europe, a German man said that the only way he could escape was because he was bribing the people who were locking him up. And he sued him. Uh, Harry Houdini sued this German guy, and he won the settlement when he successfully opened the judge's safe. (gasps) That is so cool. Yeah, except that later on in life... Houdini revealed that the safe the was judge. actually unlocked the whole time. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, like the judge didn't know that though, but I guess the safe just wasn't locked. He got in there, he's like, oh sweet. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, pretty funny. Wow, what a fun that whole story is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I like this guy. I like the story. 
a lot of cool fun facts in there. Yeah, nothing too um no real strikes against him. Seemed like just a pretty straightforward yeah. dude. Did his thing, was honest about it, put mm-hmm. on a good show, left people happy. Yeah. And uh He's cool. Yeah, seemed to leave lead a pretty good life. You can go online and watch the video of him hanging upside down in a straitjacket really? and escaping. Yeah, that exists. Cool. I don't know what city it's from, but you can see him doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah, in Ragtime, they um, they reference it, actually, at the very end of the show. And Ragtime is based on a book, um, and so I'm sure with it. I, I read the book at one point, but I don't recall exactly. Um, there's a lot more to the book than the show, as with many things like that. But um, he talks about hanging over he's in Sarajevo or something um and it throughout ragtime there's this kind of um through line of the little boy who's kind of the main character like he's not really the main character but it's kind of told through his eyes a little bit um he has some kind of a little bit of like psychic stuff going on with him and then Harry Houdini Houdini killed him no (laughs) Houdini um when he's hanging above Sarajevo, uh, this little boy, every time he saw Houdini, he would say, warn the Duke. And Houdini's like, what's this kid's deal? And then as he's hanging, all of a sudden, I think he's hanging and he hears the news of the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, which kicked off World War I. Yeah. And it's like, all of a sudden, it became clear to him what that little boy was saying all these years. Was oh, it was over the, the course of years? Yeah. Oh, creepy. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't know if Ragtime yeah. was an M. Light Shyamalan production. <laughs> There's just that one <laughs> tiny element of it. Honestly, it's it's so good. I was just thinking about it again today. It's such a great show, and it's so good for the times that we're living in right now, honestly. Everyone, do yourself a favor and go There's watch Ragtime. There's a movie Ragtime. version, right? There is a movie version, which I cannot speak to because I haven't seen it, but mm. it's probably okay. If you can see a recording of it, PBS has a lot of Broadway musicals um, that they've recorded. If there was some way to see that, that would be ideal. Or just listen to the music or read the book. It's just re- it's really good. It has a lot of good stories of um, immigrants and black people and white people kind of intersecting, and it's not sugarcoating anything, um, and it's very relevant is what I'll say. Check it out. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, but Harry Houdini, <laughs> really great. <laughs> no, he's a cool guy. I'm I'm really glad to have learned more about him. Me too. Another he's fascinating a real magical character. Fellow. Yeah, from American history. Wow, love it. Okie doke. That's all I got. All right, let's go. Poof. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Thirty Minute Expert Podcast, where you can see cool photos of all the things we talked about today, and send us suggestions for future episodes. Also, if you are a real life expert on one of the topics we covered, write to us and let us know what we missed. You can email us at Thirty Minute Expert Podcast. That's three zero Minute Expert Podcast at gmail.com. If it's something especially interesting, maybe we'll read it on the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. And if you're really enjoying it, write a review. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye.